One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. If you wrote a letter and addressed it to God, where would it go? Well, for decades, the answer was easy. On the front of the envelope, you wrote God. Address Harlem, USA. The post office then took it to Harlem and delivered it to a bald, five-foot-two black man in an exquisitely tailored suit. In 1933, a man in a $20 suit walked into Harlem. He said... He was God. The biggest Negro metropolis in the world, Harlem, is accustomed to strange sensations. But a new kind of sensation to rhythmic, racy Harlem is a religious phenomenon whose presence pervades all Harlem. His name was Father Divine. From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod, a podcast about Black culture brought to you by Blackness's biggest fans. I'm Eric Eddings. Pray to let thy kingdom come. So recently I found out about this guy, Father Divine. And every single part of Father Divine's story feels like a movie set in an alternate reality. You've got a black man in the early 1900s. He tells people he's God, starts a cult religious group called the International Peace Mission Movement, with thousands of followers around the world. He then accumulates Scrooge McDuck levels of money and power, and then sets out to remake the world in his image. It doesn't sound true, but it is. All of it. So how did he do it? I just watched a new documentary about Father Divine that tries to explain his rise. It's called Father's Kingdom. I'm going to be playing some clips from it throughout this episode. The documentary was directed by Lenny Feinberg, and I spoke to Lenny to see if we could shine some holy light on who Father Divine truly was. What did you learn? Like, who was he, and how did he get his start? There are people who claim, who who believe that he was born George Baker, the son of emancipated slaves in a section of Baltimore. But I don't know if that's true. Why don't you know that that's true? Well, there's really no one that knows definitively. According to him and according to his followers, he's God. And God doesn't get born. He just is. So he did his best to obscure his past. Turns out that in the late 1800s, most places didn't keep good records for black people. Not being able to find a birth certificate would be perfectly normal. And... All that work to father's convenience when he just, you know, decided it, it was a good idea to become God and, and nobody will know for the better. In the early days of father's preaching, there was a lot of competition in the God business. 
In Harlem, there are at least half a dozen preachers on street corners and in small churches who claim to either be God or have a direct line to him. Turns out, though, that Father Divine was just a lot better at it. Eventually, he got some followers. People believed him. I I mean, he had to be extraordinarily charismatic. But it wasn't just his charisma. Father Divine was preaching something that was very enticing. Here's Father. Those who are conscious of God's presence with me would have the victory over sickness and diseases, over all mortal human limitations. The idea he's preaching, that you can overcome human limitations by accepting God, it comes from a religious movement called New Thought. And it's why Father Divine was able to stand out from his pastoral peers. While they were preaching fire and brimstone, he was saying that the all-powerful God is within you. And therefore, you can control the world with your mind. You can overcome sickness, poverty, you name it. One of his quotes, and I love it, he said, "If I wouldn't give you five cents. That's what he said. I wouldn't give you five cents for a God who promises you a reward once you die and go to heaven. You want a God who's going to help you right now. Hmm. And he did help his people. He absolutely did. That's why they believed in him. One of the first ways he sought to help his people was by meeting one of their most urgent needs at the time, hunger. He fed the, the poor during the Depression for years and years and years, and they became followers of Father Divine. The Depression began in 1929, and its effects were swift and all-consuming. But unemployment, poverty, and hunger hit Black people harder than anyone else. Social safety net programs were quickly exhausted. Half of all Black people were unemployed. Most didn't have enough food to feed themselves or their families. But Father Divine was there to help. He would do banquets for people in Harlem hundreds at a time, if not more, and he would do a couple a day. And they would get free meals. But Father Divine is chiefly celebrated for the unfailing regularity with which he feeds his flock. And that's what really was the backbone of his finding new followers. That that was his recruitment, these enormous banquets where he would feed the people. People were starting to see that if you went to one of Father Divine's banquets, sure, you got a hot meal, but you were also welcomed without judgment about who you are, or what you have. It gave people a sense of community. And as time went on, Father Divine found new ways to empower that community. He created a, an employment agency, and he was putting his followers out to work, uh, mostly in menial jobs. And they would give the wages back to Father. And he would have his own stores, his own companies, his own barbershops, his own grocery stores, all run by Father Divine followers. All manner of businesses pop up throughout the district, all offering life's necessities at incredibly cheap prices, all stressing the passwords, peace, and thank you, Father. This expansion of small businesses was a huge part of Father Divine's strategy. He helped many Black people become entrepreneurs, as long as they shared the profits with the movement. And these networks of small businesses began to form whole communities. Here's Kenneth Gamble. He's a Philly songwriter and music producer. Kenneth lived in one of Father Divine's cooperative neighborhoods as a child. 
I grew up at 15th and Christian. It's right around the corner from the Peace Mission. Uh, my mother used to take us over there and uh, get something to eat. You could get a well-rounded meal for maybe 15 cents, haircuts, like a nickel. He was a hero in our community. These communities that Father began building were known as heavens. It was his goal to build what were basically communes in every corner of the earth. In my era, communes were hippies with long hair going around smoking pot. (laughs) But in Father's era, what I would call a commune and he would call heaven where people would get up the crack of dawn, function to whatever tasks they were given, eat their meals together, go off and do whatever works they were assigned, come back and have their other meals, and, and sing or pray or whatever they did at night and go to bed and start that same thing again in the morning. Here, land, Father Divine sees not only the nucleus of a greater movement to spread peace and joy throughout the nation, but a practical way to furnish his expanding kingdom with a never-ending supply of heaven's most dependable attractions. Fried chicken and pork chops. And he had heavens not only around the country, around the world, scores of them. Like, can you, like how many? They kept no record. I would, I would say probably under 100, but certainly more than 50. Wow. He had, he had heavens in Australia. He had them in South America. He had them in Europe, Germany, Switzerland. Father had enormous reach. So, like, what, you know, what did you have to do to really, like, participate in this? Like, if, you, if I'm signing up to be a Father Divine follower, what do I need to do to get access to these communities, to these free meals and employment and, like, all that stuff? If you committed yourself to be a follower to Father Divine and the Peace Mission Movement, you couldn't take drugs, you couldn't smoke, you couldn't drink, you couldn't curse, and you couldn't fornicate. For many, this would be a death sentence. But for Father Divine's followers, it was a mark of pride. Here are some of them singing about the Modesty Code. We're calling everyone no smoking, no drinking, no undue mixing of sexes. So if you want a world of peace and joy, of purity and honesty, everybody's got to fall in line. With the International Modest Code, established by Godfather Divine. So this is where you start to feel the differences between church and Father's cult movement. Once you joined the movement and accepted Father Divine as God, you gave up the life you had before. You handed over all your money. And it wasn't just finances. Many also gave up their names. Most of Father Divine's followers changed their names to words that most frequently appeared in his sermons. In the movie, a woman named Meekness Faith talks about the name she chose after joining the movement. My name is Meekness Faith. Now, that's a big job to handle. The meekness of God (laughs) and the faith of God. But I look to Father for my strength to be able to exercise those qualities. When she says Father there, she means God. She means Father Divine. Remember, all these followers believe that this Black man is in fact the all-powerful Father. So Father Divine, he's God. He has his followers. He's building communes all over the world. 
and he's gained real power. And what he decides to do with that power is take on a fight that we are still fighting today. Father insisted on being 100% integrated. He wouldn't allow terms that would divide the races. He wouldn't allow Negro, black, colored, white, Caucasian. Here again is Meekness Faith. Father didn't use any word that would describe a person's complexion. We would say light-complected. She was a light-complected person, if it was necessary. And we wouldn't even like to say that because it caused separation. He took the words out of our vocabularies. We wouldn't even register a word that's segregated. But beyond that, he, he, there is no race. We're all the human race. And he lived by that. Blacks and whites in his organization lived together, worked together, ate together. And this was in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s when there was very little of that. How much was this a part of the peace mission movement from, like, the very, very beginning? Like, was there a moment where, like, white America also started to kind of, like, buy into this idea? Starting in the 1920s, probably the mid to late 1920s, when his organization grew to the point where he was making headlines. Mm. Then he started attracting white followers of, of means. Mm. And they were wealthy people. That's who funded it, basically, were the wealthy followers. Lenny, I believe you're telling me the truth. You know, I, I saw the film. But you're telling me that, like, you know, you had white wealthy families funding this black man who was calling himself God in the 30s and 40s. You know, that, that just doesn't, it doesn't seem true, <laughs> you know, like how it, it just seems completely at odds with how we think about like America at that time. Turn on your television to certain channels and you get these guys saying, send me your money for Jesus. Well, <laughs> it's, this, is, this is nothing new. Mm -hmm. And he also preached equality. I think that was a big, big draw for the intellectual white crowd. If Father Divine was going to have an integrated movement to spread equality, he was going to have to join the fight that would define the civil rights movement years later. He was going to have to take on American racism. The civil rights movement before the civil rights movement, after the break. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. 
This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Even though the International Peace Mission movement didn't believe in race as a concept, racism was still a daily part of father's life and the lives of every dark-complected person in his congregation. So that left father with a new mission, to export his desire for equality to a world that would do everything in its power to stop Black people from achieving it. He insisted on equality of the races and that the races don't exist. There's just one the human race. But he, he's not crazy. I mean, America was, was horrifically racist during that period, and, and he went out and, and tried to do something about it. Father Divine started with one of the simplest and oldest ways to leverage his cult's power, a boycott. They used to deliver milk in trucks. If you, you wanted milk, it would be dropped off at your door. This was before your time. A little bit. <laughs> they wouldn't, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a large company, and they would not hire black drivers. Well, well Father said, if you don't hire dark-complected drivers, we're not going to buy your milk. Yeah. This was in, in New York, in Harlem, in that area, and they started hiring black drivers. This was in the 20s and 30s. This was well before the Civil Rights Movement. Father wasn't just planning simple boycotts. He was aiming higher. There were neighborhoods that would not sell houses to black people. All over New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, father would have his white followers go into these areas, buy the houses, and then move black families in. Father's creative approaches to desegregation may have helped to grow his movement, but it also was nearly the group's downfall. There's a story about this one event in particular, as Father Divine was just starting to create his heavens on earth. Here's a clip from the documentary where you'll hear multiple historians walk you through exactly what happened. They decided to move to Sayville, Long Island. He sees a place which he envisions as a kind of a spiritual retreat. It was in a German neighborhood, and one of the people in that neighborhood had changed his German name because of the First World War, and the neighbors got mad at him. So he got mad at them, and he advertised this property for sale with the colored people. It was one of those rare times where white racism helped him. He was able to move into an area that had been exclusively white. Word started to get out that Father Divine bought this house in a rich part of Long Island where black and white people received free housing, meals, and clothing, something no one was just handing out at the time. 
So people started flocking to this neighborhood in Sayville to join the movement. The white neighbors became very irritated at the sight and commotion and called the police. Seriously, Barbecue Becky has been around for forever. But I digress. Once the police saw it with their own eyes, they surrounded the house to shut it down, fearing a riot. Father Divine was arrested for disturbing the peace. One of the specifics in the indictment was that Father Divine held religious services at which whites and colored did congregate and mingle. Clearly, there was a racist aspect to his arrest and to his trial. The public notoriety surrounding the case is very important to him. Prominent African-American lawyers from New York City defend him. And even the negative publicity and all the inaccuracies and even the racist undertones of much of the coverage only further encouraged his supporters. Judge Smith sentenced Father Devine to a $500 fine and a year in prison. It was just three days later then Judge Smith mysteriously dropped dead. Reporters flocked to Father Divine's jail cell. Father Divine said, sadly, I hated to do it. The obvious implication being that he had used his godlike powers to kill the judge who had convicted him. The coincidence of the death of the judge for many people further confirmed, hey, this guy's not ordinary preacher. The man is God. Now it's rumored that the judge had long suffered from heart problems. But regardless, this is the part of the story where you might expect that Father Divine would be killed for even suggesting that he had supernaturally murdered a white man, let alone a judge. Surprisingly, though, you would be wrong. After about a month in jail, Father Divine's conviction was overturned, and he was immediately released. But Father wasn't just trying to desegregate neighborhoods. He was forcing American institutions to integrate. In Brigantine, New Jersey, most beaches were barred to blacks. They were not seen as fit to use beaches that whites used. He purchased beachfront property. Purchasing that beachfront property didn't just ensure that Father and his followers could have a day in the sun. On that beach was a massive hotel, which Father also owned. And he used his role as landlord to push for more equality in an unlikely place, the military. Brigantine Island was used as a Coast Guard watch to keep an eye out for German submarines during World War II. Father made an offer for the Coast Guard to live in the Brigantine Hotel for $1 a year, providing that you live together unsegregated. And the Coast Guard jumped at it. Father made it serve the purpose of breaking down segregation in the military. It wasn't just desegregation. He led an anti-lynching petition that received over 250,000 signatures. He sued the federal government to ensure his followers' right to vote. And he won. He was stirring up trouble left and right, and that made him a target. You know, I mean, look, so maybe before Father Divine, you got Marcus Garvey, Marcus Garvey was ruined and almost assassinated. You know, you got Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and all the other folks who, who are really active and, and, and courageous, you know, as you would say, in terms of, like, fighting for, for civil rights. Like, you know, a lot of them were killed. They were—most of them were killed. Like, how is it 
that this didn't, all this activity didn't make him a threat? Like, was there pushback? There's stories that father escaped, given number 30, 50 attempts to hang him. And how did he protect himself? Well, there's also this. He was God. You know, you can't kill God. God can't die. Nothing can happen to God. And his followers believe that. So and that sort of separated him, I think, from a, a, or someone who was a civil rights leader who was not an evangelist. What was his, like, larger stature in the, in the, in the country? Politicians, when they wanted the, the vote of his constituents, treated him with respect. Plenty of politicians came to Harlem to meet with him in front of great crowds because they wanted his endorsement, and he had that kind of influence. The press mocked him. They thought he was a charlatan. Father Divine had his share of critics. The press accused Father of not always following his own modesty code. Exposés couched in racist language said that Father Divine had intimate relationships with female followers. In addition, people who joined the movement gave up their friends, family ties, and name. This seems to have happened by choice, but the level of control the movement had over its followers worried many. But most of the criticism boiled down to money. A lot of people thought Father Divine was a shady dude. Followers handed over their savings and assets to the movement at the moment they joined. If you add profits from Father Divine's networks of businesses and properties all over the world, the international peace mission movement was rolling in dough. When we used to see this big limo come in, I can remember being just dumbfounded to see the cash, all cash, suitcases. I have never seen such suitcases, huge things in all my life, and seeing those piles of money. Critics speculated that the money was simply supporting Father Divine's increasingly extravagant lifestyle. The sect has always thrown a curtain around its secrets, spiritual and financial. To help us penetrate the curtain, we spoke to Ted Poston of the New York Post, who has made a detailed study of Father Divine. He'd studied what the other cult leaders had done, and he avoided their pitfalls. On top of that, he had some very shrewd lawyers, cleverest legal minds in this city and learned from them. Father avoided the pitfalls of other cult leaders by making sure he technically didn't own anything. When the movement wanted to buy a property, it was purchased by a group of followers to defuse any individual claims of ownership. Businesses were also in the names of followers. Father and the International Peace Mission Movement were audited and investigated many times but no one was ever able to definitively prove any wrongdoing. And Father insisted that he never saw a dime of the movement's money. I did not and do not and will not receive compensation, remuneration, love offerings, donations, or anything of that sort for my spiritual work and activities from any individual. I'm a free gift to the world, gratis to mankind. Father Divine remained this figure who was both beloved and infamous. No one could nail him down, and his followers continued their devotion. Some of them are still alive today, and not even Father Divine's death has shaken their conviction. So there's this one other thing that I can't let go of. Father Divine is God 
to his followers. Um, but I also know that, you know, he, he died in 1965. To the disbelief of millions, Father Divine's heart has stopped. Father Divine is dead. What happens when God dies? They believe he's still there. They think that God is present, that Father Divine is present with them every day. They put food on his table and talk to him, and his, his, his body, his physical body, is on the property of Woodmont in this beautiful uh, monument that they built to him. They believe he's still there. His followers who are still living, they continue to hold banquets and celebrate his memory. But over time, the numbers have dwindled. Shifting attitudes about race, a better economy, and a policy that prohibits procreation mean that the movement's numbers are now down to just a handful of people. There's one relatively new member. All the rest have been there since the 50s. They're all 80, 90 years old and a little older, and they have met, met Father. I mean, they remember, you know, shaking hands and seeing him and being at banquets with him, but I don't think that they were, they were kids. Mm-hmm. They were young people then. Like, what does that actually mean for the movement? What happens when those followers pass? Their stock answer is Father will provide. He gave hope, a rather ridiculous hope, but he did give hope to a large number of people who otherwise had no hope at all. This newsreel tape from shortly after Father Divine's death gets at just what Father Divine meant to the people who were devoted to him. Why this Black man was unquestionably God to many. He gave them hope. So, you, you know, you hear about all of these things. You hear about him, you know, potentially uh, damning politicians to, to death. You know, him conducting sit-ins, fighting lynchings, you know, uh, segregation, like integrating spaces. It's just it's wild to me to, to hear all the things you've listed that he's done and Father Divine is a name I literally had not heard before a few months ago. What, like, what happened? Why, why have you never heard of him? Because his history books want to bury a story about somebody that they believe conned the public for decades and decades and made himself fabulously wealthy. And that doesn't, you know, mesh with being a civil rights leader. The media, the press, the historians, they don't want to recognize this person because they think that he's stealing, Mm -hmm. that he's conning people out of their life possessions and taking things that he didn't earn, Mm -hmm. getting people to believe in a false god. You You name the civil rights leader, no matter how revered or how adulated they are today, and you put that hat on them saying, oh, and by the way, they went around telling people they were God and took all their money. You would not re- have the same regard for them. I think Lenny has a point. I'm not saying when we look back on Father Divine, we ignore the darker things. That Father Divine took people's money, required them to give up their prior lives and their racial identity. But there are things to learn from his attempt to change the world. History books might not want to admit it, but Father Divine was insanely creative and successful at pushing civil rights and economic empowerment to a degree I thought was impossible for a Black man in the 1920s to do. He did shit that, according to history, should have got a Black man killed. 
He claimed he was God, took credit for killing a white judge, sued the government for the right to vote, and helped desegregate the military. But in the end, Father Divine died peacefully in his bed, in a huge mansion, in a white suburb, surrounded by people of all races who were certain that he was God. So whether we're celebrating Father Divine or calling him out, what he was able to achieve, whether God or just a black man, is damn impressive. The spirit of the consciousness of the presence of God is the source of all supply. All of your problems will be solved economically. I desire to see everybody live in splendor. Aren't you glad? If you want to watch the full documentary, Father's Kingdom, it will be available on digital video on demand platforms February 5th. The Nod is produced by me, Eric Eddings, with Brittany Luce and Kate Parkinson Morgan. Our senior producer is Sara Abdurrahman. We are edited by Emmanuel Berry and Jorge Jess. Fact checking by Max Gibson. The show is mixed by Cedric Wilson. Our theme music is by Khalid B. For additional music credits, visit our website, gimletmedia.com slash the nine.